It's about being self-aware. It's about identifying meaningful goals that are you know, somehow anchored to a purpose, whether we know it or not. It's about sharing those goals and allowing collaboration, help, support with others. We're all in this together. And you know, 100 Things Now is this beautiful organism where everyone is connecting and helping each other become better. Welcome to Playmakers. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, 15 year NFL and NBA business exec, widely known as the 49ers Y coach. Now, your coach. Join me on this journey from why to purpose to impact. The key to it all, taking action. Prepare to get tactical as our guests share their daily playbook where purpose no longer has to be a distant North Star. It can become a 365 way of life. Let's go. Playmakers, it's about that time to welcome Sebastian Terry into the conversation. Affected by the death of a close friend, Sebastian had a moment of deep reflection and realized he wasn't leading a life true to himself. In a moment of darkness and uncertainty, he decided to pick up a pen and paper and began to make a list of all the things that he'd always wanted to do, but never had a chance to do. His mission, to find happiness. Dropping everything in his life to pursue each of his 100 things goals Sebastian's journey has been turned into a best-selling book, a reality TV show, and a platform that inspires people to not only start their own list, but support others along the way. By the end of this conversation, you likely will have already started your list. Without further ado, let's welcome Sebastian Terry into the Playmakers podcast. Sebastian, welcome to Playmakers. How are we doing? Hey, mate. Great to be here. How are you? <laughs> Fantastic. The man, the myth, the legend, he is in the house. He is gracing the playmakers with his presence. And so to catch us up, Seb, I saw you, feels like a month or two ago or so, San Diego, we're doing our thing, some media stuff, and in you come, sport jacket, expected, but then there was something that was unexpected. You were barefoot. So my number one, this is the most important question of the interview. So no pressure. Yeah. Why barefoot? What's going on? Great observation. It's actually one of the most common questions I get. So, well, the first talk, the first keynote I ever gave 11 years ago, I, I broke at the end of that keynote, the world record, Guinness world record for the most amount of eggs crushed with the big toes in 30 seconds. So knowing <laughs> I was going to do that, I didn't wear shoes for the entire keynote and then crush the eggs. And I got the record and no one cares about that, which is great. So anyway, I just thought, well, I felt really good speaking with no shoes on. So I didn't, I've never really worn shoes to, to speak, but past that, I, I don't really wear shoes that much anymore. So that's, that's why it just feels good. The ultimate answer is it feels good. I love it. I love it. And Hey, if we're listening in right now and clearly, thankfully, a lot of the pandemic days are behind us. But I know part of that home office vibe was I think there's a lot of folks that enjoyed working <laughs> barefoot. So I think you might have inspired a movement by accident, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I live in L.A. now uh, and it's and it's pretty dirty um, in, a, in a great way. Uh, so, th look, I must say I, I do uh, occasionally wear uh, footwear. <laughs> no doubt. So speaking of movements, which I brought up a bit ago. You've inspired, and I want to get the full backstory because I think a lot of playmakers are familiar, but then there are others that are not. So list of 100 things, it has taken many, many forms. It has lived and breathed oxygen for many years, and you're going to walk us through it. But from an ESPN documentary, a TV show, if I'm a playmaker listening in and I'm fascinated and I'm saying, what is this list of 100 things? Where did it come from? What inspired it? Just Shoot from the hip, hit us with the backstory. <laughs> yeah, of course. So as you say, I have this list of 100 things that I'm trying to do to be happier in life, essentially a bucket list if you think about it like that. And it's an odd thing. I've been doing it for about 13 years. And I suppose the catalyst, the reason, the backstory for it was, you know, like many people, I had just sort of gone through life doing the things that we're told to. So I had a, I, I graduated high school, didn't know what to do. My career advisor said, get a degree. So I did. Uh, I got this degree. I found I was in debt and it was, you know, I was suddenly 22 or something. And I thought, hmm, I thought I was meant to feel like I was living on purpose right now. And, and I didn't, I felt really underwhelmed. So I, I ended up going backpacking around the world, like many of us do on, with no money, bouncing between countries and continents. And then at the age of 25, I happened to be in Canada the phone rang and it was a friend of mine from back home in Sydney, where I'm from. 
And he delivered the news to me that one of my close friends growing up, a childhood friend called Chris, a guy who I'd gone to school with and played sports with and drank beers with, Chris had tragically died overnight. And 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 that, that was that. He was 24, I was 25. And it made me reflect on lots of things. Firstly, his life. And I remember thinking, geez, if he... If he got to live another 24 years, would he be doing the same things or would he change everything? And I never, of course, got to ask him, but I, I, I thought about his life and he loved his friends and his family and team sport and the beaches and the sun and having a beer and rightly or wrongly by anyone else's code, you know, I came to the conclusion that he lived a very values-driven life. He, he was very authentic. And then I turned that question on myself at 25 in Canada I put the phone down at this point. I sat on the floor in the middle of the night and I just thought, if today was my last, could I look back at everything I'd done and say that I was proud? And it was the first time I ever gave myself that perspective and I realised in a heartbeat, oh, my gosh, I would change everything. I'm 25. I don't know what my values are. I don't have any meaningful goals. I don't know who I am. I don't know where I want to be. And that was the the impetus for me to get a piece of paper and a pen in the, at that very same moment and I, you know, in, in this kind of realization that I was actually fundamentally unhappy, I thought, wow, I'm just going to start jotting down things on this piece of paper that I think might make me happier in life. And that was the beginning of my list. And so, you know, to, to condense this down, I committed that day to flying to Las Vegas uh, to achieve number two on my list, which was marrying a stranger. <laughs> so I did that. And that was the beginning, of course, of now a 13 year journey. I've checked off, you know, most of the things from my list. Uh, but the most beautiful thing of all is, you know, of course it's changed my life. I feel very on purpose and I'm, I smile a lot more often, but the ripple effect, it's gone on to affect a lot of people and I couldn't be happier. Lives have been changed and saved because of this story. And, uh, you know, Hey, well, I, and I think that's why we've sort of bumped into each other in life because we're doing very similar things. For sure. And I definitely want to quadruple click on all the global impact and service and contribution to others. So we are going to get there a million percent. But let's stay on you for a second, because you said something that was really interesting. So there was a gap and a void of happiness. Your words, right? That was just that internal gut check feel. Yes or no. Am I happy? Your answer at the time was no. And if I was to ask the typical person walking down the street, is happiness a choice? I'm not convinced that everybody would answer yes. I think there's different opinions. I'm not getting into the right or wrong game. I'm not getting into the better or worse game. But I don't think that everybody believes that happiness is a choice. My gut tells me you do because of not what you say, but what you did. But talk to us about are things like happiness a choice? And if they are, what's that first step to step into it if we're not feeling it? What a juicy question and conversation. This is great. Well, look, I, I think there's a small nuance. I think life is about choice. Absolutely. I don't know if happiness is a choice. Oh, because otherwise everyone would just choose to be happy immediately. I think the, the choice is to pursue a path towards happiness as opposed to not pursuing that path. You know, and I, and I think in the, in the same way that your listeners have chosen to be here listening to this conversation, others have not. And that's absolutely fine. I think we're radically accountable for what we do in our lives. Choose to be happy, you choose not. You choose the path to success, you choose not. You choose to change or you choose not to. So I think change is this really interesting thing that I'm fascinated by. And, and kind of to go back to your question of, well, what's the first step to choosing this path to happiness? And I think it's giving yourself permission. I think this is something that we all miss. Um, we're not typically given permission. We're not encouraged to give ourselves permission to think about ourselves from a young age. Uh, you know, my story is one of many uh, who share the same. I went to school, I kind of followed that blueprint and, you know, going to university and getting a house or a career and accumulating money and all that stuff, which is great, of course. But I think there's definitely a need at some point earlier on um, to consider, well, what do you really want to do as well as all those things? Yeah, it could be those things. It might not be. It might be a mixture. But what do you want to do? So I think I, I, I'm a big advocate of encouraging people to give themselves permission consider yourself. It's, it's, it's healthily selfish. And I think, and what I've found certainly is this idea that once you think about yourself and you look after yourself, you can then help others, you know, and I, there's a lot of analogies and metaphors around it, but when you get onto a plane, they all say in case of an emergency, put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. And I think that's kind of, you know, true to life. I think we have to give ourselves permission to consider what happiness is for ourselves to pursue that 
And in that process, I think we become far more productive and able to help and support other people. Yeah, a million percent. What's really cool about the timing of this combo is so I'm really close, about a one or two yard line of the football field from finishing second manuscript for the second book. And literally a few weeks back, wrote a chapter on authenticity and the name being give up your terms, give up your life. Like I fully believe that the difference between living and feeling alive is the authenticity that we step into each day with. So that's where I want to take us next. If it is about authenticity, let me ask you, and then we're, we're going to uh, take a few funky turns here, but for your list, was it a million percent inspired solely? Like, was this all from within? Did you seek outside feedback? Because I mean, brother, I am hearing things and we're going to have some fun with this in a bit, but I hear things like running with the bulls and marrying a stranger and delivering a baby and skydiving naked. <laughs> so, so my thing is, were, was all of that inspired in your head or just talk to us about the process, man? So interesting. Yeah. I mean, look, at the time, you know, I, I started creating my list the moment after I got that that phone call uh, where I learned my, my friend had passed. And at the time, I just did a big brain dump, went straight onto a bit of paper, all these things. And of course you think, and you know, uh, back, back then I used to think, well, it's all me, but it's not. We're so influenced by people consciously or subconsciously. So, you know, I think I may have seen or heard the concept of someone getting married in Vegas and I went, Oh, that's cool. So this idea is, yes, uh, it was a process which involved many people, some, some of which I was aware and some, some I wasn't. I, it's such a wonderful conversation to have with people. Hey, what's on your list? What's something that you would love to do? And, you know, uh, it's a relative concept. So many of our, our lists or all of our lists are, are different, but some of our goals are the same. Um, so I actually left with about 90 goals on my list um, with 10 vacancies thinking, well, I'm probably going to discover some things. And an example of that was I met a guy who – was a party animal, long hair. His, his nickname was Bone. I met him in San Diego and he was just a man. And I really, Ian Xavier, if he ever listens and um, really cool guy. And he had told me the story that he had just um, been the minister at a wedding to marry two of his friends together. And he didn't strike me like a, like a priest. And I, I said, Oh, I, I didn't pick you for that. And he said, no, 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 you can just go online and become an ordained wedding minister in two minutes. It's free. And, uh, and that was it. I said, I've got to put that on my list. And so, yeah, I added that to my list. I ended up marrying two people together in San Diego. I've actually done a few since for, for friends, which is super fun. But yeah, the process of a list, give yourself permission, sit down. As I would kind of teach it, I suppose, you know, it's an eight-step process. Four, the first four steps are about creating the list. Second four about activating. But in terms of creating the list, I, step one is permission. Step two is reflection. I think it's really important to understand where you've come from can't change it, but it's really good to know what your behaviors, your patterns have been. Um, and from that, you can, we, we go on to step three, which is understanding the, the spokes to your wheel of life, if you will. You know, spokes offer a wheel structure, allowing it to spin. If your life was that wheel suddenly, what are the core aspects of our lives? And, you know, of course, we find things like family, professional development, personal achievement, key relationships, romantic love, adventure, creativity, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, the, the, the process is actually a, it's an inside job, so to speak. And it's it's one that needs conversation externally as well at some point. Yeah, you know, it's really neat. And so we're in the process of getting to know each other a lot better, especially, uh, you know, we, we share similar tribes. And uh, I know there's a lot of conversations that that we've had together, but the process that you describe your list and if I'm a playmaker and if I was to ask, so where do I start? And you gave us that step one, two, three. It's very similar to how I would go through a values discovery. So you talked about the value of values. You talked about the importance of values. The simplest way I would define it is values are what is most important to you. And I always get asked the question, what's the first step? How do I discover them? How do I identify them? And it's a lot of life reflection. And so for you, do you have a particular, and maybe it's the same, is there a process that you go through in terms of helping and coaching others discover their values? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I used to teach it in a way where I used the word values and, and, you know, we used to do a values test, if you will. And as you know, if you Google, you know, values list, you're met with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of words, half of which I don't Tons, even understand. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we, we used to get people to pull together 
similar values and then work out, well, what are your main five, let's say, and go from there. I don't really do that anymore. I, I try and make this as sort of tangible and unrelatable, I suppose, for people. Because, you know, if you, if you look at, I'm trying to think of like a value, which I didn't really understand the word of. I mean, there are plenty out there and it's hard to relate to is my point. Um, so now I actually get people to write a eulogy as part of one part of a reflection process to understand how you've been showing up. If you then, and be, be very honest, that's another key point. If you then look at your eulogy, um, without overly judging yourself, you will then see these key themes, or which I mentioned as spokes, pop up. Family, personal development, um, rah, rah, rah. That is how I would, I, would, I would process or I'd take someone through that process. If um, we then move forward one step and someone knows exactly what their spokes are, I think a really interesting test, again, where candor and honesty is crucial, is to rate your spokes. How, how strong is your wheel? You know, health, physical health is on everyone's, everyone wants to be physically healthy. The, the vast majority have an incredibly weak spoke, you know, like a two out of 10 type thing. And anyway, if you rate your spokes, you can sort of get an idea of how strong your, your wheel is. And then the next layer, the next layer of the process, step four, is then putting goals on top of these spokes that would go on to strengthen them. So, you know, and, and being very specific with goals. Well, my health's awful. It's not, well, I want to become healthier. It's I want to do 30 days of yoga in a row. I want to drop my weight from this to this. So that, that's kind of, we, we, we crystallize it. You start wide and go narrow through the four steps and you're, you're left with this beautiful, beautiful list. So that's the way I would do it. Less values driven, more just understanding general themes, which are important to me in my life, which by the way, you get to label. They're self-autonomous. And I think there's a lot of strength to self-autonomy. A hundred percent because that's your terms. And by the way, this is beautiful because to me, words are semantics, like values, themes, all of that. What you and I, what we preach is the exact same. Nothing matters if we don't take action. So if it's not behavioral, then it just doesn't count. The scoreboard doesn't say, oh, you had good intention. It's how did you show up? What did you tangibly do? So the way that I would do this, a quick riff exercise for all playmakers listening in, I call them I will statements. And so you could come up with a value. You could identify a theme. In Seb's case, you could identify a spoke and it's something, whether it's a strength or a weakness currently, you want to get better. So you say once a week, I choose a journaling time. It takes two minutes and I journal one thing. If I have the word in mind, let's say in your case, it is adventure. I will live my value of adventure by, and then fill in the blank. And it's a commitment and it could be one small thing. And by the way, we're not just talking about climbing Mount Everest. It could be eating spicy food because maybe you've had some mental block and there's just something, but there's a little piece of you that says, I'm going to try this. I'm going to go for it. And so I know that's a silly example, but you know, when I think of a value like joy, sometimes it is cooking your favorite meal. When I think of a value like courage, it's not about just taking a big leap and uh, putting your family at risk. This could be having a conversation that could be challenging and maybe you've been putting it off. That's courage. It's not massive, but it counts. So that's where we're, we're going with this, Seb. And shifting, shifting, but keeping it in the same family of conversation. Playmakers on purpose. So everybody listening in, I've heard this till we're blue in the face. Purpose, the way we view it, is not about a North Star. It's about a 365 way of life. So it reinforces everything you're saying, Seb, from actions and behaviors. Purpose is something that has been very important to you. I know that even in the past where you've said, well, it's not necessarily a bucket list. It's more about, I think there was purpose, growth, connection, but let's hang out in purpose. What does purpose mean to you and, and how has it been integrated into your journey that you just described? So I think uh, it, it's, it's so interesting because there is that sort of, that, that question that's asked a lot, you know, what, what's your purpose here on earth? Well, how daunting you know, and, and it's super I, daunting. Yeah. Super. And it's like, it's not where you start. I think it's, it's hopefully we get to a point where we do understand what that is and you can crystallize that and say, my purpose on the planet is, but even that I think is a bit of a stretch. I mean, I, I really think you've got to start with, with finding meaning in your life. Um, I'm actually listening to this, this audio book right now, Man's Search for Meaning, which um, I'm sure you've, you've heard of. So before. good. Yeah. And the, I just listened to a part which said, uh, 
he was asked the meaning of life, and I, I'm going to get this wrong. I'll butcher it. But it, it, he, he kind of reversed the question and said, well, what do you find meaningful in life? And I think that's, that's where we start. What turns you on? What excites you? What makes you, you know, feel like you're on fire in a good way? Um, and, and, and I believe if you're able to crystallize those things, you'll find a sense of meaning, i.e. purpose in your life as you move along. I mean, if you were to ask me what, what my purpose on earth is right now, I'd find it very hard to, you know, I would say, well, I really enjoy helping people. I really enjoy being the best version of myself. And, and maybe that's kind of where we, we land closer with it. Being the best version of yourself. It, it's uh, my list. It's celebrated. I'm celebrated for doing all these things. And I have a book and all these ones, you know, like you. But really, I think all anyone is trying to do in life is feel good. And that mean, and that's done in a, a million different ways, of course, for, for, for a million different people. So I, I would argue that instead of trying to crystallize the perfect answer to what's your purpose on life, I think what we would, could all benefit from and, and certainly smile more easily at is this idea of, as long as we're trying to be the best version of ourselves, we're doing all right. My list is simply a vehicle for me to try and understand myself better. And I, and I'm getting close to that and it's always an evolving thing. So maybe we never actually 100% know who we are, but I'm getting closer to it. And I think if I'm able to simply just be myself in as many situations as I can, professionally, personally, and everything else, I think that's the key to happiness. And I think I'd rather focus on that rather than saying, well, my purpose on earth is, you know? Yes. And you brought up a key word, which is attaching it to meaning. So if I'm listening in right now, because even the question of what's meaningful, that maybe not as daunting as something like what is my purpose in life, but that's still a little bit of a halo question, comment statement. I would challenge and get it drilled down even to a level of instead of meaning yes or no does it matter to you that's it does the person matter to you does the relationship matter to you does the thing matter to you and if so there's probably meaning there like and that's what this is about it's about distilling it down to this foundational level and so all right that that's fantastic on purpose coming back to your list. And then we're going to shift gears into more of the, the service and the contribution angle. So there were two that, well, I told you there were some crazy ones, man. I mean, the running with the bulls, the marrying the stranger, the baby, the skydiving naked, all that, all that fun and exciting stuff. And if you want to tell us some weird stories, we're more than happy to listen. <laughs> but, but two that caught my attention that I was just putting a playmaker's hat on and asking myself, well, this one's really interesting. I don't know the backstory. I have no idea how it went for Seb, but there could be a key learning or insight that he experienced that could be valuable. The two that I circled were saying yes for a week and one week of silence. Interesting. So again, I don't know what's under the lids of those jars, but if there's something to unpack that we could all gain some insight from, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are very, it's very interesting you asked me about those two because I've just done a, I, uh, someone just did a study on me uh, and the article, the heading of the article is how do we find, what is happiness or how do we find happiness in life? And they asked me to break down my top 10 things that I felt happy doing, quote unquote happy, and uh, the, the, the top 10 things which I felt maybe underwhelmed, not quite as happy with. On one side was being silent for a week. That way it made me feel incredible. Um, on the other side, something that was maybe a little bit more disappointing was saying yes to everything for a week. So I'll start there. Saying yes to everything for a week, I loved the idea of just going with the flow. You know, I think in life we often build up a no response automatically. Can you do this? No. I, I, are you able to? No. And I thought, well, let's just see where I end up if I say yes. Conceptually, really cool. Um, at the time I was living in Sydney and, and, and I started it and it was so bizarre. My, my girlfriend at the time, this is like Monday morning, I started Monday morning, said to me very randomly, have you ever had a full body wax? So I, I had to answer honestly and say no. And then she said, would you, would you ever consider it? Which led to me having to say yes. So within two hours of starting this, I had this full body wax, which was, which was awful. Um, anyway, as the week went on, I did a lot of random things. I, of course, met people, but it was very hard to keep a secret. And as soon as people realized, oh, he's saying yes to everything, they basically took advantage of me in a funny way. And it became more about, uh, it was more of a stunt for them. And so I didn't really learn anything. I was much more 
almost worried about, oh, God, what's going to happen today? I ended up having to wear my, – my, my flatmate again at the time came up to me and said, have you – knowing that I had to say yes, he said, would you ever consider wearing a chicken suit and going down to the mall and singing the Australian national anthem on a table? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'd consider that. So we went and we did it. And I remember like, you know, mid song on this table, hundreds of people just watching me in disgust, <laughs> uh, shaking their heads at a giant chicken. I just thought this is, this is not what I had in mind. So there was that one, but, but flipping over to the other one, which was staying silent for a week. Um, uh, it was, that was amazing. And, and it was, I, I had no idea what would happen. I just, because I talk a lot, you know, we talk a lot. We like to communicate. So for me, that was the challenge. Um, at the end of day one, I, I did it. And it was very hard. Immediately, I felt like there was, I was wearing a pair of handcuffs, you know. Um, I was really worried and almost anxious at every turn because people ask you questions. And when you can't talk, you feel rude, you feel silly. So I did one day, I got back to my apartment in New York where I did this, uh, the world's busiest city, which I thought would be very fun. And the, the guy who was hosting me at the time said, how was your day? And I said, pretty good. And then I was like, oh, no, I've spoken. So I had to start again. So I actually did eight days. Um, anyway, uh, after that, what, what happened? The first two or three days I was scared at every turn. Uh, I, I, a lot of bizarre things. This, this old lady, for some reason, asked me to escort her to her train station so I tried to find, I mean, there's a million weird stories. I met random people, ended up going on weird little adventures without one word being spoken. I went on a blind date, uh, which is pretty funny. Um, she was extremely disappointed. Uh, nothing new for me. Um, <laughs> but uh, what happened was after a few days, I started to calm down internally. It was so furious and fast and frantic. And then I just started to observe more and get more comfortable with not being able to speak and I found it to be a really interesting perspective on myself. I got to think about things. And I saw that I, I, I noticed that I, I used to waste so many words. And as people, we do, we, we hate silence. I was, I was living with a, a buddy of mine, Jack. His nickname is Superman in uh, New York at the time. And he was actually really good with it. But other than him, anyone else I spoke to just felt a need to talk the entire time because silence is so scary, it turns out. Um, so that it was just an interesting view on human behavior. All right, Playmakers, it's about that time to discover your why. It only takes five minutes. And on the other side, you will better understand who you are, how you think, and why you do what you do. Here's how you get the assessment. Text the word why to 310-564-7857. Again, open up a text and send the word why to 310-564-7857. For coaching after, DM me. For now, let's get back to the show. I can't even imagine, like you said, as a speaker, it's, uh, it's tough to shut up, <laughs> but in this case, it was, it was silence with a purpose. Uh, you, you did it out of experimentation, out of fun, out of curiosity. I think curiosity is certainly a theme that I, I mean, how could you possibly have lived the life that you've lived without scratching that big old itch of curiosity? And, uh, you know, this, the fork in the road is, are you more focused on being interesting or are you interested and I think a lot of times we, in our younger days, just try to be the most interesting person in the room. And especially if you're an extrovert, but then at a certain point you shift gears and you say, oh my gosh, they're behind door number two of being interested in people and things. And that seems to be the pot of gold that I, I mean, in some ways you wish you found it sooner, but in other ways you just had to live life and uh, take some missteps because otherwise you may not have learned that lesson. It's such a it's such a cool question. I actually went on a hike this morning. I live in LA, and as you know, we're we're not so far away. Well, we're in the same city, but it turns out we're hours away. Um, <laughs> Other side of the mountain. Yes. Yeah. So I went for a hike in the mountains this morning uh, to Mescal Canyon, right? So up towards kind of Malibu Way, and I was talking with a friend about this. We're talking about social media, uh, which you know, of course, we're all on and all that stuff. And I I kind of love the idea. And we spoke about what would happen if social media didn't exist. You know, what would happen if we didn't have anywhere to post photos of ourselves uh, doing things? And I, and I love that. And if you take it a step further, what if no one knew about the things that we did? 
No one would ever find out what we did professionally, personally, what I'm going to do this afternoon. No one but me and maybe the people physically with me knew. And I think that kind of brings up and touches on the point that you had mentioned. Do we, are we interested in something or do we want to seem interesting? And then I think you'd actually probably hone a lot more down on your passions. You would do things that genuinely felt good to you rather because there, there'd be no outlet to say, well, I'm just doing this because it's a good photo on Instagram. So I, I, I love that idea. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And it also, maybe this is a cousin comment, not a brother, sister comment, but it is loosely tied. I remember when I was younger, pre cell phones, and I just felt so free, my sense of autonomy, and you could almost do anything at this time, I was in junior, senior high, so the classic teenage years, but just that ability to go out and roam. And there was no plan. There was no agenda because of no phones. There was no camera there. Nobody was recording nothing like there was a bliss in that. And I'm not saying that I love that and hate it. It's not about love, hate. It's more just I appreciate the good of back then, just like I can appreciate the good of now. The utopia might be in the middle, but that's just a tough nut to crack. But I, I, I think that's a great exercise is yes, it goes back to what are you doing? Are you doing it on your terms? And I know that you've also asked some really interesting questions. Like you actually had a point. I've heard you in a different interview or podcast, I believe that you said something about when you shrink time, you get more clear. Oh yeah. Is gosh. that right? Because I, I think it could actually tie to what we're talking about now. Yeah, I was speaking at an event years ago and there was a, a monk, an Australian monk who came on afterwards and, and I, I, I can't remember his name and I feel awful now, but a really lovely guy. Um, and he spoke about this concept of, he, he asked the audience, if you found out that you had two hours left on earth, what would you do? And he asked a lady in the front row and she said, uh, oh, I'd leave the conference, no offense. And he said, of course you would. So would everyone, what would you then do? She said, I would drive straight home to my family and loved ones. And he said, would you stop at your favorite store if you saw that they were actually giving away everything in the store for free? And she said, no, absolutely not. I'd go straight home and see my family. And he kept on sort of you know, pushing her in that direction. And he said, isn't it interesting when time becomes so finite, our clarity exponentially skyrockets. We know exactly what it is we want to do. And it's, it's a similar thought, you know, we all get to our final day. Some of us don't know it. Some of us, you know, however, are fortunate enough to reflect. Um, and then things become clear. And then of course we hear those stories. Oh, it's too late. I wish I had done X, Y, or Z. And, you know, uh, you know, I guess the idea of a bucket list is that, you know, it's things to do before you want to die. I don't like putting the emphasis on death um, because I'd rather t talk about living, but it does create a sense of urgency, which does frame life better, you know? Yeah. And we're finally going to get into the service and contribution. I've only teased it a handful of times now, but the last thing I'll share for playmakers is it connects to what Seb just said, this concept of regret. And as I've gotten to directly have these conversations or speak to people that have had these conversations, many of which they're talking to folks that are unfortunately in a terminal state. They're counting down the days or the weeks or the months. It's just, it's a sad place to be. And when you get into those conversations and the topic of regret comes up, very few, if any people regret the things that they tried and didn't go as planned. In baseball terms, the swing and the miss is not the big regret. The big regret is I never swung the bat. And to go to the grave with that thought. So that's where I really, this is a deep comment, but it's all good. We got to get here is you can be proactive about not dying with regret. Absolutely. And, and another thought on that, um, and I love the sports spin on, on, on that as well. The, the other idea is in the short term, we regret the things that we did. In the long term, we actually regret the things we, we didn't do. Um, and so wouldn't it be awful being on your deathbed, having a moment of reflection and thinking, I wish I'd done that different. And the, the, way, the way in which we can avoid that moment where we actually get to go, I'm so glad the way I lived my life is by taking action now on things that are meaningful and, and, and hence why a list is crucial. It's not a bucket list jumping out of a plane, as you said earlier, climbing a mountain. It doesn't have to be any of that. Meaningful change doesn't require radical change. It could be ringing up my dad and saying, I love you. You know, 
So yeah, I um I like where this is going. Ah, ah, for sure. So I'll let you drive the next uh, step here. I don't know if it is, I've heard you talk about Operation Snow Bunny, but really where I want to bring us is the list is awesome. But you have said the list is, while it may have started with you, it certainly doesn't end with you. Like this thing has scaled, it has grown, it has amplified. Your goal is to be a, a very small character in this grander play of, of this global impact. So talk to us about just how it's spread and, and maybe just some stories and context that would be cool for our playmakers to hear. Absolutely. So, you know, for a year and a half, I was going around the world, checking off things from my list with no money somehow. It was great. Um, and then, or not and then, at the same time, I realized it was striking a chord with people. People saw themselves in me. Oh, I want to do things too. And exactly right. If, if I'm doing it and having fun, so should everyone. Um, and if I'm able to, so too is everyone else. So that, that started happening. Very accidentally, it became an inspiration for others. People started their lists. Then I, I found that people were helping me. Strangers around the world were helping me with my goals. It wasn't because I'm special or brave or talented. It's because people are good. We're like-minded. We have this insatiable ability um, and desire, I should say, to help each other out. We're just not often sure how to help people because we don't share goals that often, certainly not in personal life. Um, I then heard from a guy in Australia who, his name was Mark. He was a quadriplegic. Uh, he wasn't always that way. He was bitten by a tick contracted Lyme disease, which stole him, stole from him his physical you know, ability to move. He can't, he's a quadriplegic. He can't speak. He needs a 24-hour care team, all the things. It's tragic. I got to meet Mark, and he shared with me that his one of his goals was to complete a half marathon. And I, I asked how I could help. I wasn't sure. And he said, you could push me. Um, now, he, he, I say he said that. He didn't. It was his carer because he, he can't talk, unfortunately. So anyway, I had never been presented with an opportunity to help someone. I'd been pretty selfish up until, up until that point. And I just realized at that moment, ha, huh, I've got my oxygen mask on. I think I could potentially help someone else out here. So I entered us into the race and I pushed Mark um, for a half marathon. What was very interesting about it was, aside to it being one of the best events I've ever been involved with, something for somebody else, um, complete strangers joined us. And by the end of the race, there was about 20 of us pushing Mark and, you know, strangers would just come and help. It was amazing. The offshoot of that is I've gone on to help lots of people and I'm very proud of that. It got turned into a reality show, blah, 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 blah. But I can't help everyone, of course. Um, not any, you know, no one on the planet can help everyone. But there's, there is a like-minded community around 100 Things now, which sees people share goals, which is beautiful in itself. If it stopped there, that would be great. But what happens is that we're problem-solving machines. And so if I say, hey, Paul, I've got something that's very important to me and I need a hand, if you could help me, you just would. You couldn't even help it. You would. And that's, what's help, that's what we're seeing. There have been lives saved. In fact, I'm meeting a girl in about two weeks who's flying in from Ireland to donate a kidney to someone in our community who needs a kidney strangers they've never met and so 100 things is it's interesting you think about bucket lists but it's not really that anymore it's about setting or you know realize have, being self-aware it's about being self-aware it's about identifying meaningful goals that are you know, somehow anchored to a purpose whether we know it or not it's about sharing those goals and allowing collaboration help support with others we're all in this together and, you know, 100 Things Now is this beautiful organism where everyone is connecting and helping each other become better. It's not about, as you say, just me anymore. And thank goodness, because that would be so boring. <laughs> so in the spirit of looking forward, that's you gave us a lot of the past and, and the present. What's next? What's in the future? Wh whether it's the this this movement we've been talking about, or maybe there's a different color and, and chapter, but what's next and what's, what are you looking forward to? I've got a couple of things which are on my radar. So, you know, obviously we've, we met, you know, under the context of, of speaking, um, which I love. I've, I've been doing this, uh, you know, for 11 years really. And I've never really taken it seriously. Um, it's just been, <laughs> I've been very fortunate. It's all sort of just come to me and I'm, just, it, it's odd. Uh, I, I think it's the bare feet, man. I, I'm telling you, dude, I, yeah. I've i lost to you in so many coin flips and it's the damn bare feet. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I maybe it's because I'm 41 and I've just sort of started looking at life in a different way, <laughs> but I want to impact as many people as I can. And I'm not, I'm not maximizing that. And so that's one of my goals is to really knuckle or knuckle down, double down on that. The other part is um, we, we developed a, uh, almost, 
well, we call it the Live Your List course. It's the eight steps to creating and activating your list. And it was designed for just people in the general public. What we have found is that it actually works very well in a business setting. So uh, we're putting a lot of energy right now into creating a staff development program, which we, we, you know, we have clients and, and that's something which is exciting too. And it's this idea of integrating personal development in the professional space. You know, I think one thing COVID has taught us is that, you know, uh, this work-life balance, it's almost a redundant term that, you know, work and life, it's the same thing. So they need to be integrated. And, and so I, I think there's an opportunity to really do some good work in there. And then thirdly, um, I love the idea of matchmaking kindness. Um, and I'm, I'm putting a lot of work into, and I certainly will be putting more work into activating that via a, a specific tool, a digital tool. Um, and so those, that's where I'm at, you know, and, and, and again, maybe to like circle right back around to the beginning of this conversation, why do I want to do those three things? Well, they make me feel good. And that's all I can really ask for, you know? Yeah. Well, in a few minutes before we hit the home stretch or as we enter the home stretch, I definitely want to share where playmakers can find you, follow you. And a lot of the causes and movements that, that you are a part of. Real quick, though, I want to go back to the second thing that you mentioned, which is really focusing on the person inside of the workplace. And to your point, yeah, I'm in camp with you, brother, of I believe work-life balance is a hocus-pocus term. The reality is, if you think balance from a quantity perspective, we ain't going to do something the quantity of hours that we work. That's just not, not even sleep hits that mark. And so let's put aside balance. To me, it's harmony. It's being where you need to be when you need to be there. So if I need to leave from work at 3 p.m. to pick up kiddo, but I might have to do the trade-off of emailing at 9 or 10 p.m., then that's the life that I want to live because I chose it versus I need to stay chained to something until 5 or 6 p.m. But I want to talk to you because I've run into this hurdle, and I believe you have too from some things that I've heard. Sometimes there's folks, and there's a lot of happy endings to these stories. They do end up bringing me in to speak. But I have been met with the concern of, well, Paul, if we hire you (laughs) and you get all of our people into their most purposeful life and they're happy and they're fulfilled and they're, I'm going to lose a ton of them. And so before I share how I respond to that, A, has that conversation ever come your way? And B, how do you respond to it? Yeah, so it's definitely happened a lot. I mean, on briefing calls, I've had clients talk to me um, and say, hey, will people leave their jobs? (laughs) Are we going to have a mass (laughs) walkout on Monday? Um, And my answer is absolutely not. No, I'm talking about goal setting, goal striving, community building, culture building, um, you know, I be, I'm a strong believer that, you know, individual growth leads to collective evolution in and out of the workplace. I'm not talking, my, my, mess, my message isn't, hey, guys, let's all climb Mount Kilimanjaro on Monday. It, it's not that. Um, that's, you know, the, the, the bucket list, quote unquote bucket list, is kind of the in. That, that's the vehicle. But, the, you know, the juice is, is it's not about, you know, doing daredevil-esque uh, stunts at every turn. Um, it's it's about self-awareness of an individual, self-awareness of a business, self-awareness of a family, and making sure that we're trying to live on purpose with meaning in all the goals, big or small, in and out of the workplace. Um, I, I will add on to that, and, and maybe this is more controversial, um, But th- and this is just a comment f- for you uh, because we're not recording. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is an interesting – this is a very idealistic way of looking at it, though, but – I think if in the world I got to click my fingers and everybody suddenly realized what they want to be doing in every aspect of their life, there would be huge disruption. Of course, I, I get it. And it's not, you know, this is a hypothetical thing that could never happen, but there'd be huge disruption. But the aftermath would be everyone would be feeling a sense of purpose, meaning in their job. People would shift. They would shift. Absolutely. Absolutely. But where we would find ourselves would be far better than where we are right now. So I, I do at the same time, part of me, you know, um, you know, I think it's, I don't think it's a great uh, trait of a boss or a decision maker in, in, in a company to say, well, look, I'd rather we keep them in the dark just so they stay here. You know, I, I, I think a leader, I actually spoke for a company, I don't think I'm allowed to say who they are. I spoke for a, one of the big social media companies recently 
Uh, everyone's got their app on the phone. And they said our <laughs> they, they, bef- be- they, they made it very clear to me beforehand. They said, you can go anywhere with this because our philosophy is we want the best for our staff. And if the best for the individual means that they don't end up working with us, that's fine. And I found that very refreshing. And I, and I think that is a healthy way of looking at, at, at business, at, uh, mental health of the individual as, a, as, a, as an individual in or out of the workplace. Um, yeah. How do you answer that question? Yeah, well, a couple of thoughts. Uh, I'll, I'll give it the one-two punch. For one is I make it very personal. And, and normally this is not the first thing I say, otherwise I might get booted out of the room because it is a very in-your-face. But, you know, most folks that are in a leadership role, uh, they're, they have a family. And so whether they have a son, a, a daughter, multiple, I challenge to say, would you recommend... Would you want your son or daughter to work at your company? Like, does the culture that you have built inspire? Like, would you say with a blind taste test, like, this is the place that I would want my son or daughter to spend the rest of their life. And if your answer is anything less than hell yes, then it's an opportunity for growth, positivity, and change. And so that one gets a little personal. And I do that post building a relationship, of course. But then the other way is by by just talking numbers, because for people that are so profit centered, let's say profit over purpose versus I believe there can be synergy between the two. My thought is, all right, we've all seen the dismal engagement scores that are I'm, the, the sad part is they're 30 years and running. Bottom line, one out of three people care deeply about what they do. Two out of three people don't. And that's that those are averages. It's not for every company. But if that is the average, what percentage of a person's capacity, care, effort, therefore their performance and production, do you actually think you're getting? If I am disengaged and I'm giving you 20% of what I got, you're worried about losing me? What if you lost Paul, but replaced him with a highly engaged Seb? And Seb is coming in operating at an 80% clip. That is a four to one performance and production ratio. And I use their language, but then I come to what they call the softer side. And I say, if you want the harder piece, you got to start with the foundational piece and people and purpose are at the foundation. Then the process performance and profit follow, but you got to do it in a a certain order. So that's really kind of how I attack it and not suggesting right or wrong, but that usually will turn a lot of folks to say, okay, I get it now. I, it makes complete sense. I, I I love the way you put it too. But you're right. You're right. I mean, we we do kind of we deal with numbers rather than uh, than the emotional side of things, which I think absolutely should be integrated in decision making. Yeah, yeah. And, and look now in the true home stretch, where I love that you've brought us Seb with your mission your impact. And by the way, a lot of playmakers have already taken the why assessment. I know your why is to contribute. And so as you think about what you want to uh, not only contribute going forward, but for those that have taken the assessment, let's because contribute is by far the most common. So there's a lot of folks that say, how can I make a difference? What can I do? What is that first step? You talked about spreading kindness, like talk to our playmakers, whether they're wise contribute or not, how can they integrate more contribution into their future? Yeah. I, such a good, such a good question for anyone listening who is interested in just doing a quick little check-in to make sure they're, you know, living in, in a way which, uh, you know, which is true to them. I, I would suggest giving yourself permission to be by yourself at some point over the next few days, call it 10 minutes to make it easy, put it into your calendar, make a, a, a contract to yourself that you'll do it with the pure intention of thinking about yourself selfishly. And as you do that, think about things that are important to you. Uh, are, are you uh, simple questions, by the way. Are you living a life that's true to yourself? Are you expressing yourself? Are you staying in touch with loved ones and friends? Um, are you you know, all, all the, are you happy? Are you proud? Are you performing? Just uh, you don't have to even write these answers down, but just give yourself a moment to consider these things. Some of those points I just mentioned are mentioned in a book called uh, Regrets of the Dying um, by a palliative care nurse called Bronnie Ware. Five, the five most common regrets of a dying person: living a life not true to themselves not expressing themselves, not staying in touch with friends or loved ones, uh, not allowing themselves to be happy, 
uh, and the fifth one is escaping me. But if we can, you know, and people go and Google that book and buy it and have a read, if you can understand what those regrets are, you can start working right now on, on, on ways to make sure that they aren't your regrets as well. Pass that, get a piece of paper and just come up with 10 goals that you think um, will bring a smile to your face. Choose one of those goals and promise yourself to take action on it. And I think that is a quick, surefire way to just feel better in an instant. And then the ongoing effect of feeling that you're progressing towards that and then at one point achieving that will make it a habit. And, it, you know, that that's my story. And look, I tell you what, I've, I've, I'm very humbled to say it's impacted lots of people in a positive way. And, you know, I smile and sleep well. I love it. I love it. Where can playmakers find you, follow you, please? So you've got a bunch of raving fans that are going to be, uh, man, we're in. Where can we find you and follow you? Mate, thank you. So uh, Sebastian Terry is my full name, you know, .com on the end, and you'll find me there. Uh, on Instagram, at Seb100Things. Um, yeah, if, you know, for anyone listening who, um, you know, of course is interested in the whole sort of staff development stuff, you could go to 100things.com and there's some some literature there and some PDFs and brochures to have a look at. But, you know, if you see me in the street, stop me, say hello. Uh, we can hug and, uh, and have a chat as well. I love it. I love it. All right. Closing question. Advice. Number one piece of advice that you have either given or received. Ooh, uh, that's so good. Um, hmm. My dad gave me a piece of advice, which I actually mentioned in my, in my book. Um, and it was, I was quite young and he said to me at the time, I'd rather live one day as a wolf than a thousand as a sheep. And I, I, I it stuck with me. I put it in a book. You know, I, I just think that's great. This idea that be yourself, one day being yourself, whatever that is, is far better than a thousand days of just following the herd. And I, you know, that obviously has had a, an effect on my life. From one wolf to another Thank you, brother, for being on Playmakers. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. And I can't wait to connect with you more so. Another episode in the books. You know the drill. If it added value to your life, subscribe, share, leave a review, and help grow our Playmaker community. For keynote speaking and why coaching, visit paulepsteinspeaks.com. And last call, if you haven't already, take your why discovery now. Pull out your phones and text the word why to 310-564-7857. Again, text the word why to 310-564-7857. Playmakers is proudly produced by Detroit Podcast Studios. Until the next time, dominate the day on purpose.